Welcome to another wonderful episode of Rediscovering Your Passion and Purpose with Patty. And as with all of my guests that I have each and every week, another special guest is joining me here today. And just a couple weeks ago, this is another person that is very special from a personal standpoint. And that is because it is my niece, Katie Boggs. And something that is started a unique connection between the two of us. I actually got to be in the delivery room when she was born. Because in those days, it could be videotaped and her mom and dad asked if I would do that. So I have had the, I have been blessed and privileged to know Katie since basically she entered the world. And with that, Katie, thank you so much for being here today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. And I love that you literally got to see probably all kinds of stuff about me and turn the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I did. I did. That's awesome. So I know that I know your story and that's why I exactly wanted you to be on this podcast because I know your story. And when creating this podcast, when I was thinking about the type of people that I wanted to have or the specific people that I wanted to have on this podcast, you were definitely one of those people that I thought of because you your story is a very unique one. And what I also like about this is I don't want people to start thinking, oh, that Patty's podcast of rediscovering your passion and purpose, you have to be a retired person or you have to be an older person. And that has nothing to do with it. So you are definitely, you're my first young We'll call you young because even though you're 30, you're still young, my dear. But I want to prove to people that everybody has a story to tell and everyone listening out there, we can all learn from each other's stories and our journeys that we've had. And Katie, yours is a journey that I do want you to share with people. Without further ado, why don't you tell people a little bit about you, where you're currently at, but leading up to your story of what has brought you to where you are right now. Sure. Yeah, thanks again for having me on. It's I've been really cool to listen to your podcast and get to hear stories of people I have not yet met and and don't know in your life, and also people who I do know who I learned new things about. It's really exciting to be amongst all those other people who I admire a whole lot. So I currently am here in Colorado. I live just outside of Denver. I moved here just over a year ago to pursue a master's degree that I applied to during the pandemic when I was looking for something else to just spark that part of my soul back again. So I'm currently pursuing that. It's a master's of arts in biology and it's mainly focused on conservation work. So it's through the Denver Zoo and Miami University. And I get to have some really cool experiences and really cool classes about ecology, my local surroundings, the Rocky Mountains here, the social impacts of conservation, all of that. And it's just really uh, enlightening my that part of my soul that has always loved wildlife and the little girl that was always watching Steve Irwin and and Jeff Corwin and the Crap Brothers and Zubumafu and all the rest. So now it's the little girl circle. that told all of us that when she got when she grew up she wanted to be a vegetarian. Yes. That we learned she actually meant a vet a veterinarian. So it's like you're doing a full circle moment there, Katie. Totally, yeah. And it's funny because I some of my really close friends are veterinarians, and I think that's funny that I see 
I admire them so much because I truly wanted to do that for such a long time. And I'm a little bit squeamish. So that wasn't, wasn't right, the right path for me. But <laughs> so before that, I came here from San Diego. I was there for about 12 years and I got my degree there, uh, worked at an aerospace company out there in supply chain. And that's what I do currently out here for work. So that is funding my extracurriculars of learning about all of the other things I'm learning. It's definitely this right here is everything I've been wanting to have in my life for the past few years. We all had dramatic shifts during COVID and things that maybe we had filled our day with were just suddenly not there. And that was a huge problem for me. So I just knew I just wanted stuff to do all day long. I just wanted to be busy so badly. And now I've got it. I'm very busy. Watch what you ask for, huh? Yes, I know. Every day I'm like, you just remind yourself, this is truly a better thing for you. I really enjoy being challenged by new stuff to learn. So that's brought me out here to Colorado and I've just been loving it. I There's stuff to do in every season. I've officially seen all four of them here and I found things to do outside and just ways to appreciate just connecting with nature, which has been a really nice thing about living here. So to get to where you are right now, let's go back and let's look at your middle school years because I know that there was a pivotal point of an event that took place that really set you on a path that you're on now. And what was that pivotal moment? What led all, what started all of this journey? Yeah, so in seventh grade, I don't know if it's the same in all states, but in California in seventh grade, you do a check during one of your courses and you they physically check you for scoliosis. So they'll check if you've got any kind of curvature. That's the typical age when it really starts to show signs. And I remember going through the line and my friends and I not knowing what scoliosis was initially before we had the assembly or the meeting or whatever it was that kind of informed us what this day was about and just being nonchalant oh what is that is it contagious haha and then going through the line and the teacher or aide that was checking me was like I don't quite know what to do with that I'm gonna send you to the next line Mm. I'm like okay that's weird so I go to the next line and they're like huh okay like they hadn't found it yet and they Mm. clearly found something there so I just I don't remember a whole lot of that period except going home with the directive that we should probably go see a doctor so we go to the general family doctor, he checks it out and, and he's, yeah, I think we've got some minor degree of curvature. That's how you track the curvature of a spine. And at that so, point, there, there was no known scoliosis or anything in the fam on either side of the family, correct? So there is my grandmother on my dad's side and my, one of my aunt, aunts has it, but it was never severe enough to where I understood or maybe didn't have that conversation with them as mm-hmm. a kid. I didn't know about this. It was just probably we just have back problems or grandma just has back problems. So right. I didn't quite understand. And they still say it's not genetic. So it wasn't even really something we were probably looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I get that initial x-ray and there's a minor degree of curvature. I, I meant to go and try to find all of the specifics. And I think it was probably 15 to 20 degrees or around there minor. So he recommended we go to a chiropractor. So I remember my, and my parents were like, great, let's do whatever we got to do. Let's go figure it out. So at the directive of this general doctor, go to a chiropractor, went there often. I remember sitting in the waiting room with my brother on our Nintendo DS and we would go on picto chat and we would be drawing things and sending them. And I remember for probably for hours, I think I went once or twice a week for a very long time for adjustments. And unfortunately, I think that chiropractor really thought he was going somewhere with it or maybe had other intentions of what healing looked like. But I continued to have more back pain. And I remember being in grocery stores and wanting to go sit down, going to, with my friends on the playground and having to go sit down. And everyone would always go, well, you're too young to have back problems, right? You're too young for that. So you're like, oh, okay, maybe that's just, maybe I'm just not good at standing. I haven't mm-hmm. figured that out yet. 
and then going to back to my doctor, him doing another scan x-ray and finding, I think like roughly 60 degrees of curvature, somewhere around there. So a wow. much more significant increase in the curvature. So at that point he said, this is getting pretty bad and it's getting bad very quickly. You should probably go see a specialist to get a brace done. And so I wish I had it somewhere in my memory boxes, but I'll have to find this brace. But I remember taking many hours over many days with a specialist down, the, down in like Loma Linda and taking, and they would just fit these plastic and straps and Velcro to all these points around your body. It would secure on your hips and then it would secure. And the goal was to pull you back to where you mm -hmm. got to go. At this point, it's eighth grade, new school. I was pretty nervous as a kid, pretty shy. You mm -hmm. can attest to that. Most mm -hmm. people will attest to that. I didn't really want a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. I had a pretty subtle for, in terms of back braces <laughs> over the years, they've come a long way now. And I think even at that point, it was a lot more subtle, but you could still see that I had bulky things under my clothes and I made noises and there were snaps and rattles and stuff all over. And it was probably not what I really wanted to be going through at, this po at that point. Especially um, 13 was, years old. You're already going through a lot of stuff. Yes. And you're already not great with feeling confident and feeling excited about being a, a teenager. So I remember it just, and it wasn't helping. That was the worst part was you're doing all this work. You wear it 23 hours a day. I slept in it. You take mm. it off to shower, but you put it back on and it doesn't feel good to take it off. It puts you back, but then it also doesn't feel good to wear it. So you're doing all this work in the hopes it's going to fix it. And you go back to the doctor and it's not fixing it. It is progressing to the point where it's bending the brace now, and it's making the snaps wear in spots they shouldn't be wearing and maybe not secure super well. So the whole thing is not quite going your way. And now it's getting towards the end of the year. And you learn that two days after Christmas, you're going to go have surgery. And this was a decision that was heavily weighed. My parents were very open with me. Again, at 13, I feel like I don't have as many solid memories of it just felt like a blur. Mm -hmm. I remember very specific conversations with them saying, here's where it's at. Here's what we've tried. Here's what's, what could happen if you go down this route. And what do you want to do with that? But here's what everyone's saying. And to a point you have some say in it, but also it's a medical need at that point. It was right. getting worse. I think my breathing was being affected. My heart was mm -hmm. being compromised. Things were getting moved around. And I think towards the end, I wasn't, I couldn't even really walk. I was that last, I remember they said, what do you want to do? Your big last thing, one big more fun thing before you have to heal. And I said, I want to go to Disneyland. So they said, great. So they made a whole day. We were going to go to Disneyland. We get there and I can't even barely walk. And I wasn't having a great time. I try not to get emotional <laughs> while I go through it. Yeah. And I think, I, I think one more thing I want to do is horseback riding. I really wanted to go horseback riding. So I remember going to Disneyland, getting a wheelchair, getting to be there for that, but being like, wow, I really can't walk. I'm starting to lose a lot of function. And I remember that Christmas <laughs> was a great time and I was enjoying to be around family, but then I was just terrified and I didn't know quite what I was scared of. You don't know how to contextualize what you're about to go through, but you just know this thing's coming. Mm -hmm. You're going to be here in two days. So December 27th, 2006, I went in for surgery. I, it was a very early morning. Katie, if I can stop just real quick, yeah. one of the things that I really admired and respected that your parents had asked us as family, because we knew that we were that you were going to have to have blood transfusions during this operation that was coming up, and we were encouraged 
because thing, if things were still odd with the whole AIDS thing and the blood transfusion stuff, and your mom and dad wanted to make sure that to ask family if we could donate blood, that you would receive people that you knew their blood. And up to that point, I had been involved with the high school blood drives, but I had never donated blood before because I thought, oh, that's just the kids doing that. And when your mom and dad had asked that, it was like a light had finally gone off for me to know exactly why it is important to donate blood. And knowing that really because of you, that started a lifelong thing now for me to go in almost every eight weeks and donate blood because there is a shortage, but it shouldn't just be just because you know somebody. It's a good thing to do because every single time I go in and donate, I know that I'm helping a minimum of three people. But my message is to go out there and encourage people. So that's what this whole thing, as bad as it was for you, it brought a light to me to know how important donating blood is. So thank you for that. And thank you to your mom and dad also for wanting that for you to set a good example for the rest of us. Yeah, totally. And I've tried to do that as well. I think I probably, that would have been something I would have maybe been scared of uh, as an adult, but I, as soon as I was able to donate blood, I've tried to be very consistent with it as well. Mm -hmm. I've lived because, because it is a very it's just an, a very evident way to show you care about another human. And it is yes. one of the most physical ways you can do that because we can't make that the other humans we can get it from. So it's definitely bolstered that feeling for me for organ donation and for blood donation specifically. Thank you. Cause I know you're very consistent with it Yeah, and you've helped many people over the years. So you go in for this surgery, you're 13 years old and yeah. you're going and please tell them what exactly they were going to do during the surgery. So to back up a tiny bit, to give a little bit of a start to all of this, I recall getting an MRI before the surgery to map out my entire spinal column. And that takes a very long time. I think that took three to four hours of mapping out that whole thing. So this is a very serious procedure. It's very close to your nervous system along your spine and walking in, they, everybody was very honest with me. You, there's a chance of paralyzation. There's a chance of complications of various sorts, and it's a highly successful surgery and people of my age do very well, but you have to know that going into it. So I remember walking in the elevator and I had my hair braided because I thought, I don't know when the next time I'm going to be able to get my hair brushed or washed. So we braided my hair and I was very happy with that. I thought it looked very cute. <laughs> and I think I had something comfy socks and maybe a stuffed animal. And I thought, okay, here we go. And I remember the elevator door closing and I panicked. Oh, there goes the outside world. And it all hit me. So then we go in there, pre-op everything. You're getting ready for that. I think that I don't remember what time the surgery started. You guys would recall better than I would, but I remember getting there very early. Yes. It all had to be done beforehand. So prepped everything, took some photos. I think I did a little sand painting that they had in the pediatrics unit of I still Occupy your time, divert it. Yes. I still have that. I recall the bird and all of it on there. And then they asked me what music I wanted to listen to. And I said, I wanted to listen to Queen. And Mm. so at least for the the portion of me getting my anesthesia, I I was listening to Queen. I don't know how long for the procedure they kept that up, but I did appreciate that they played that. And they thought it was cool that a 13 year old kid wanted to hear Queen (laughs) before she went in. And I remember them saying countdown from 10. And I thought, oh, I'm going to be counting down from 30, but I don't feel nothing. And by six, you're asleep, right? So in this procedure, they flip you over. And I think for context, it's supposed to be about a four hour or five hour long procedure, maybe. Mine ended up taking about eight. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. And a lot more 
it was a lot, it was a lot more crooked in there than I think even they were anticipating. And even in those last like months, I really curved. Mm -hmm. I was up to 90 something degrees curved. Mm -hmm. Ribs were over my hip that, that severe and it happened very quickly. So they get in there and basically they drill two titanium screws into the side of a vertebrae. And those screws have holes in the top. So you can run poles down the entirety of all of the screws and you drill them in from what I understand is a pretty intensive process of physically moving a bone over moving a part of your spine over drilling it in with Home Depot's best tools and saws. And I was just going to say, it probably looked like a hardware store in there yeah. for that surgery. Yeah. So from what I understand, it went a little longer than it should have because there was just a lot more to do in there. So they ended up fusing. I have 16 screws and two rods, and then they get it as straight as possible. They keep a little bit of a curve in the bottom. They didn't fuse my bottom vertebrae so that I would have some mobility and maybe the option of having kids someday, biologically carrying children. And so, yeah, so they end up fixing it all, straighten it over. There's some what look like zip ties on an x-ray. I'm sure they're titanium metal ties that kind of keep it all together. And then they go down to my hip and they took some bone fragments from my hip to more or less sprinkle them over the entirety of the fusion so that it will initiate the bone growing over. And with this type of fusion, it is permanent and then the bone will grow around it. And that is what retains the strength. And if I remember correctly, you actually, you went in the height of one height before the surgery and your height did what after the surgery? I think I grew like several inches. You did. Shorter than my mom and she, they stand you up right after the day of, they stand you up and I was taller than her. And that's just how much there was to go up. And I recall going back to school being taller than all my friends all of a sudden, which was fun. Leave for winter break and come back and they're like, what the heck? But so, yeah, I mean, it was a pretty intensive thing. And, and I remember just being very thirsty when I woke up and very cold. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of what makes me not enjoy being cold now because it felt like I was trapped just mm-hmm. being cold, thirsty in this in between. You're in the ICU, your family's there, but you don't know what's going on. So there was a full day of about that where I was in and out. Mm-hmm. And then, get moved to I think my more permanent room and I'm telling my dad I don't think this medicine's working I just don't think it's working he's okay and they had me set up with a little button you press it and it Mm -hmm. administers another dose a timed dose so you can't do it more than once the nurse came in and she goes you have to stop pressing this button you're only going to get however much the dosage is I said yeah but I've never been in this much pain I was very I was that's the worst pain I will probably ever be in in my life that was a whole nother planet. Right. Mm. And, and I just couldn't sleep. My dad, I remember for that night literally held me up so I could sleep because just laying down was just too miserable. And so they said, you shouldn't be having this much pain right now. And they looked and there was a kink in the line. So for about 12 hours, mm. immediately after having this, then I did not have any medicine. So that kind of like, I think my brain was different after that. Oh yes. What? You have a perception of what true human pain and whatever that form looks like. Right. Everyone goes through moments like that and you just bookmark it as, yep, I was this and now I am different. A defining moment. Definitely. So then they cranked it up and they gave me the good stuff for a few days. And then I finished out my hospital stay, which was probably about a week, five days to a week and was just very delicate (laughs) for the next six months. I think I, that drive home from Loma Linda up to the high desert in Apple Valley was a bit nervous. It's about an hour plus drive on many Mm. freeways. So I had pillows and everybody holding me up. And I remember picking out my outfit I wanted to wear for the way home. I had a big Shamu stuffy whale because because you guys had taken my brother and our cousin Brandon to SeaWorld Mm -hmm. to help him keep his mind off things and then allowed my parents to stay at the hospital together with me. So had my big stuffy whale and we headed home. 
And, and then my healing journey began. So that really started what ended up being the before and the after of me having this procedure done. And so once the healing process begins, did it do anything to you as far as changing your thoughts on what you're, what you were, what was available for you for your future physically? Oh, totally. They give pretty open prognosis at the beginning or pretty open options where they say you, a various amount of things can happen to you during the surgery. So the fact that I had a successful surgery and it seemed to be feeling well was very positive, but it immediately is, oh, you start thinking of things that you can't do because you're not an adult yet. You haven't lived long enough to really understand what you probably want to do, Mm -hmm. what you would expect to do. So you have a lot of options in your head. And the hard part is actually once those options come to you, which they normally would when you're 13 to 20 or so years old, they immediately have to get shut down because you have to pass them through this filter of, is that even feasible? And so it did, it closed a few chapters of things that may have, may or may not have been possible joining like a mil- like an armed service and military mm-hmm. service is no longer a part of the equations. Again, at that age, you're not quite sure what you want to do, but it's like, you just know now you can't do service. Did you find that that made you more determined then to figure out what exactly it was that you wanted to do or even be determined to do things that they maybe told you that you'd never be able to do to challenge yourself to see if you could? Yeah, I think it was a mix of both. And I think it's always probably a little bit of both but I think that's how you feel the cycle, right? I do remember being, there are things where you just, I think developmentally was where I would find myself frustrated first. I would, as I was getting taller, I would have been much, much taller. I have the torso of a 13 year old girl. So, so I am disproportionate in the sense of when I look at myself, I'm like, oh man, I would have been taller when you're a kid and you're growing and you're going through phases and feeling like I was very chunky at certain points because I if I just was stretched out longer, I would look normal. I would look like the other girls or I would wear these bathing suits. They would look different. Mm-hmm. At some point, I'm still a little bit, I'm a little bit crooked. I'm a little bit twisted still, just a tiny bit. And of course, you'd learn to appreciate and accept those things about yourself. But again, as a teenager, you're like, oh, I don't look the same in a tight t-shirt. I right. clearly twisted or I like this side, but I don't like this side. And it just, it adds to your self-image. Different. Yeah. Yeah. Not a great time to, for body perception for a young girl. So that kind of added to it where if I didn't have this happen, I would do this. You have the if then right. going on. Or I found a lot of joy in joining the swim team. Uh, my freshman year, I had never done any kind of official swimming and I got to join it. It was really good for my muscles and everything to move. It's a non-contact sport, but there were certain points where it's, man, now that I found this sport, if I was completely normal, right, would I be able to actually get a medal in this thing? Mm-hmm. Not just be my wanting to do a sport because I chose the sport because of my disability. I didn't, and I loved swimming all the time, but that is why I did it because it was the one thing I could do. So it's when, if I would have found this and not had this happen, what I have been, so you just have to level that all the time. And, right. and I think you learn good, like coping mechanisms from that. And it teaches you humility that other people are also have that going on. Everyone yes. has that. There's but at the time you're thinking you're the only one. And yes. you're the only one with that specific thing. Like people didn't really know how to treat you, right? So then you have this thing of you want people to take you seriously that you are in pain, but you don't want people to baby you. And you, you start weighing that out because you do sports teams and you want to let your coach know, I have these certain limitations, but then you don't want to not be included in stuff. And with yours also, everything being internal where it wasn't 
something that, and I don't want to call it a disability. It wasn't a disability, but to have a condition that no one else can see, they just see the outside. They think you're just fine. You're perfect. They don't really know. Yeah, exactly. So when I, one of the things that, that I always greatly have always admired about you there, and there's many things as we know, but you have always, no matter what, you have always been there to, to help people and to help animals. So when did you feel like you realized that you had a passion for helping others? I think I've always felt that. It just, I think that I don't want to call myself an empath because I feel, I don't know how, but, but I do, I truly do feel very overwhelmingly for. And I think you are, I think you are a bit of an empath. Yeah. It's very much, and there's pros and cons that come with that in all the senses, but, but I just have always felt if someone gets, if someone is feeling sad next to me, I'm feeling it. Mm -hmm. Even I was like, no, I'm feeling it. Did not want to see animals hurt ever. And I would always be looking for them. I think this is a memory that popped up, but one time we were camping and you were actually, we were at the jacuzzi and you were sitting there and, and there was a little boy in the jacuzzi that was killing a bee and he thought it was very funny. And I think I was very upset about this. Yes. If I recall correctly, I was very upset. And I think you were there and you were like, yep, that's not how you should treat animals. But I remember that sticks out of just, I was like appalled that anybody mm-hmm something like that. So I think just always being fascinated by animals and it just like invoking this emotion from me, I've tried to extend that to people as well. If just, we are all just trying to do our best. And if I've got this going on all day and I have 99% of the things I'm feeling, I'm not sharing because mm-hmm. I don't want to drag people down. Or I remember this in middle and high school, my back hurts. Oh, my back hurts. And it's, I feel like maybe my friends got a little annoyed with hearing it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you're not filtering that of how many times I should say it. It's like, it just always hurts. So I'm always feeling it and I'm only letting people know every so often, but they're like, okay. We get it. Your back hurts. All right. Yeah. We understand. So I have that, that own impression of other people of they, what is it that's in their brain right now? Is it something emotional? Is it something with a friend or a family member? Is it something physically with them that we have no idea about? And so it's just a constant reminder to always look into that end of it and channel that empathy that I hope people show to me and people have shown me and give that back. So with that, that your scoliosis, some would see that as being a definite challenge. Have there been other challenges that maybe go along with that or other ones that you have, that you've had to overcome? Yeah. Yeah. I think there was so much focus on my physical health in that time period that then life gets busy. I go to college. I start getting into my job and everything else and starting to realize that maybe a lot of this anxiety, a lot of the stuff that I've been feeling that was very prevalent right before all of my, my spinal stuff kicked up. Maybe this is something that I can also work on because as with physical stuff, it's a balance, right? You have to constantly be balancing. Am I walking enough? Am I resting enough? Am I, am I exercising my body in the right ways. So you start thinking of your brain in the same way. Am I treating it the right way? Is it feeling good or is it not feeling good? So I think that's what my twenties have been spent on. Honestly, is now that I've somewhat understood and every year I get better at understanding my own body and what I need, can I extend that to my mental health as well and start to Mm -hmm. prioritize now that, now that I've calmed down one problem, maybe we can start looking at applying the same stuff, applying balance, applying humility, right? Mm -hmm. Same lessons I learned from that and apply them to something that's not physical, but also is something that you can't see. And it's something that you are going to go through. So I think dealing with some mental stuff this past decade, it's been really 
another challenge that things pop up and you just learn how your brain's wired and you learn to work with it instead of against it. And would you say that during these challenges that you've had, that you did lose your passion and purpose? I think it was always probably there. Mm -hmm. I think there were times where I didn't feel like a lot of anything. It's like, you don't even feel like you've lost something. You just don't, it's just a lack of, right. Or things are just, and you realize you look around you're like, oh, it's gray right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm having a hard time getting excited about going outside and doing these things. Right. And unfortunately the physical part of that can fuel the mental part, right? If I'm having Mm -hmm. a bad pain day or a bad pain weekend, and I'm going to be inside all day and everything else, and then it's okay. You could, you could see that spilling into over your brain a little bit. So those challenges, it's like constantly use those same lessons you learned and apply it here and uh, it ends up working out. One of the things too, that I think that has been really beneficial because, and I know that I keep saying this in many of my episodes is knowledge is power. And one of One of the things that you have been very, you have been an advocate for yourself, first of all, first and foremost, because nobody else is going to be an advocate for you as well as you can be for yourself. And what I mean by that is you have done a lot of research. You have talked to a lot of people when, especially when it comes to pain management, because anything that when you're in the kind of pain that you have experienced, you're looking constantly for ways that you can lower that. And I know that through this journey over, especially probably about the last seven years, there have been some interesting people that you have come in contact with. And the one that stands out was about the bananas. Would you like to share that? Sure. There are so many ways to find pain relief, right? And I know that that Aunt Wit and I have discussed many of the same journeys of trying to find who's a legitimate source that's going to help me and who's maybe maybe not quite qualified for this attempt, but one of the things was I want to try acupuncture. And I will preface this by saying I did go find an acupuncturist that I really did get a lot of good value and help out of. So this is nothing against the art form itself. However, the first woman I went to already driving up, she was a very nice lady, but she had some very, some very interesting beliefs that I think if you were working with a perfect body and you didn't already have a severe medical issue going into it, you could be like, okay, sure. But this was San Diego County, and this was probably in the springtime. It's a very temperate area. It doesn't get very cold or very hot, right? It's nice all year round. And then she said, oh my gosh, I tell her my story about my curving spine and everything. And she goes, and I was having issues with my neck at the time. And she said, what do you eat for breakfast? And I thought, okay, good question. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm taking in too much sugar or not enough mm-hmm. protein. And I said, sometimes a banana and a protein shake or, or a piece of toast. And she said, it, you cannot be eating bananas during cold weather. She said that, well, it will make you, it will make you curvy inside. It will give you twists. It will give you this like curviness inside your body. And that's probably where your scoliosis came from. And so I said, okay, great. And I listened to the rest of the conversation and thanked her for the day. And then I went home and thought, okay, that's not for me (laughs) because at a certain point, there are things you can do to help your body stay well. But if you are truly in need of a medical procedure, like what I had, you start to really believe in medical science. And, mm-hmm. and what it did for you, because who knows what would have happened if I did not have that, if I would have tried to do all of the non-invasive stuff first, which I did, and it just wasn't working. So it gave me a good understanding of, you need to advocate for yourself in that way too. You need to mm-hmm. know what services are meant for you and maybe what services are meant for a more maintenance style of healthcare, where you can maintain a healthy body. And I still believe in a lot of those things. And I, like I said, I went to an acupuncturist, very helpful. I've done many different forms of physical therapy over the years when I've had different flare-ups and issues happen. 
And so different things work for different people, but I've come to trust medical science that really saved my life. And that I think I'm going to go get a lot of opinions and make my decision based off all of those. And I think too, that's another good message for the audience to know, because you had shared with me when you shared this story that right away when she was talking like this, your your gut was telling you this was not the person for you. And I think a lot of times we as human beings, especially if we are in a great deal of pain, we are, we're almost willing to do anything. Yeah. And sometimes we do not key into what is it our body is telling us. What is your gut telling you? And if you really tune into that, you will know this is not the path for you. And that's what I think is really smart about what you have done in your research. You're not just looking at the scientific way. You're also looking for the natural way also and seeing if you can find a good balance between the two. But you have really relied on, and this is why I say, I think you're, you have a lot of empathic ways about you, not only when it comes to other people, but you are very in tune with your body and what will work for you. And I think that's what all of us, a lesson that all of us can learn. I don't think we always are very in tune to our needs and our wants of what what is really truly best for us. And when our body is warning us, no, this is not, we don't always listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it influences everything you do, especially at a young age, if you are having to constantly be aware of your body and be mindful of its changes in case it means that something is maybe not going well. Yes, And just constantly reminding yourself that you need to put yourself first all the time and advocate for yourself. So then you can help other people, but you're of no use to others if you're not, if you're not working on yourself. So I think that's one thing that all of that has also taught me is And a lot of it is being young too. When something like that happens and you're young and you go to new doctors and you're explaining, the odds are they will probably undersell what's going on. They probably Mm -hmm. think it's not as severe until they see an Mm x-ray or they pull up a medical chart and they say, oh, okay. When you get a little bit more, but you got to advocate for that. And that goes for anybody who's going for, for help for anything. You need to be the one to tell them truly what you know to be real and seek help. And with you mentioning the thing about the pictures and seeing pictures do speak a thousand, a million trillion words when it comes to seeing that picture of your x-ray, which you have been very good about almost, I think almost every anniversary you post it on your social media. And it, it is a very graphic way of seeing exactly how severe your scoliosis case was. And continues to be because just because you have those titanium rods does not mean that your body is still not trying to change, to, to curve. Yes. Yeah. And I'm, that's part of, I've had it for 17 years now, which is crazy. I had it done when I was 13. Mm. Once you cross over that line of you've now had this and you have been this person longer than you didn't have it. And those first 13 years, you're still forming, (laughs) you're becoming a Mm. human, right? So you're not even at 13, you're not even really sure of what normal is. So this is the normal. It always has been, but to remind myself every so often of for 17 years, been putting my head down, trying to heal, trying to get back to normal, whatever that looks like. There is no normal for any of us, but trying to get back. But you're normal. Yeah. But then every so often taking a step back and giving yourself credit too, and not getting stuck in there. And again, that's a hard balance. Sometimes if you dwell, you can get stuck sometimes and that's hard. And that's a good place right there with you saying that, Katie. That's the other thing that you 
you know that when you are reaching those dark moments or those dark places, you know that for you, physical activity is a good thing for you to do. And whether you were in the high desert or San Diego or now in Denver, one of the things that is very admirable about what you do for yourself physically, which helps you mentally, are the different challenges, physical challenges that you do for yourself. So what are some of those physical challenges that you do for yourself? Yeah. Yeah. So I probably my favorite one is hiking. I love hiking. I think I love the physical view of a challenge that you have to get to the top to. And then the actual rewarding process, if it sucks on the way up, it's worth it when you get up there. And then just the reward of knowing that you did something really good for your body And also it's good for me physically. Mm -hmm. It challenges me in ways that strengthen the certain muscle groups that I need to stand comfortably and go about my day. And as a kid, I didn't do a lot of, I did swimming, but I didn't, I didn't want to go try skiing or snowboarding or any of those things. And people ask a lot since we were down the mountain from Big Bear, oh my gosh, you must have skied snowboard all the time. And I said, no, I actually didn't never tried it until this winter when I moved to Colorado. So that's another thing that there's risks that are taken when you do that kind of stuff. But Like when you decided to roller skate or yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to learn to quad skate and got pretty good, took a decent fall. And then my friend said, Hey, to get your courage up and learn how to do it, maybe join the local roller derby league and do their fresh meat program, basically fundraising for them. You pay your dues every month and they train you how to roller skate properly. I said, sure, I'll do that. I did that for two full seasons to get my derby name and pass all of my derby stats and things. And And what was your derby name? My derby name is Bionic Barbie. (laughs) Very (laughs) proud of it. So again, and this is the hard thing to weigh out. I wanted so badly to be in this group of women and doing the practices and doing the trainings and the things that built up my body. But at some point I knew I can't fully do the Mm -hmm. the bouts, right? I can't fully do the all out physical combat side of it. And, but I got involved in the non-skating positions. So I was the clock timer or I was doing the helping issue the court, the cards out to the refs, or I was in the middle of the track. So finding those ways that I could still participate in that activity, but it was a challenge. You don't want people to baby you in practice. You're learning how to, and you're not wanting to be a martyr either. And I don't want to be a martyr, but I also want to be evident and come in and tell my coaches, here's my situation. So that's always a challenge. When you find a new group of people, some will treat you like you're very fragile and they don't want to hurt you. They don't want to engage with you in certain ways because they don't want you to get hurt. Trying to build that trust with people that I know what my limits are, but I'm here to exercise, challenge myself, and in theory, my spine is a lot tougher than everyone else's. It's going to take a lot more to, to snap it than, you know, than mm-hmm. anyone else's. There's all those things to weigh out, but I, but it doesn't mean I'm weak. It doesn't mean that right. I would get hurt any worse than anyone else. And how did you do with skiing this last season? I loved it. I loved it. It was a challenge. It was definitely a challenge, but, but I had a great time. It was just another thing to go out and do something physical, but in nature. That's my mm-hmm. favorite part is you're seeing the outdoors, the trees, everything, you're meeting new people while you're doing it. And, and you're doing something that you're a lot of times I went the first couple of times with other people, but I did take a couple trips where I just went alone for the day. I just drove up for the day, spent the whole day doing it. And, and I think that stuff is important too, that you show yourself, you are confident in going out there, challenging your body in a way that you maybe haven't yet and doing that alone. And that's, that kind of builds you up. Would you say that when you've been doing these physical activities, that it is a way for you to, I don't know. I I don't know if I want to use the word distract, but do you find that you're not thinking about pain or the pain is not existing in that moment when you are in nature, you're doing those things? Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's probably why I could extend that to all things in my life. Why I like to be very busy. I think if I sit and think about it for too long, 
or even after all these years, I don't, if someone says, does it hurt? I'm like, I don't really know what that means anymore because it just feels, it feels, Mm -hmm. and that's just the normal feeling. But if I sit and think too much about what if it didn't feel like that, you're going to spiral. You're sitting too hard about the things that you don't have. That's not going to help anything. You don't, Mm -hmm. you're not going to have it. And that's fine because not everybody has everything that they ideally want or not everyone can overcome something they had in their past. So it's okay to every so often have a little bit of a pity party, but yeah, to distract yourself and go out and remind yourself that you are capable of doing these things. And it tones down that voice in your head that maybe says, Oh man, I just wish we were different because if I was different, I don't know what I would be doing. I don't, I wouldn't, I don't, wouldn't not want to have gone through it. The ways that I've grown from it, I'm very proud of, and I wouldn't want to lose that progress. So what would you say is the best piece of advice that anyone has ever given you? That's a great question. I don't know if it would be a specific line, but I'm constantly thinking of walking a mile in someone else's shoes. I mean, that classic Mm -hmm. live their life before you can really truly place blame or judge someone Mm -hmm. really understand. And kind of the best part about that quote is you can't just go slip on someone's shoes and walk in them. I can't go slipping in someone's life and live it. And so that's constantly something that reminds me to give me patience. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if you're in chronic pain, you're not very patient because you're already stretched so thin. You don't realize it. That Mm -hmm. last little bit of capacity you have is not very long. And sometimes that comes up where I am a little bit impatient or it's, hey man, I've got a hard day and I'm in pain and I just want to get where I'm going. Right. And then stepping back and thinking, I don't know what that guy has been through today. Mm -hmm. I don't know what he's gone through in the past. And maybe people in his life don't even know. He could be silently fighting it like I am right now. I think that's important is just imagine walking a mile in someone else's shoes. Excellent. Love it. So did you have people that yucked your wow along your life's journey? And if so, how did you respond to them? Oh, there's always people in different stages of your life. But I think an important thing for me is thinking a lot, I overthink or overanalyze about something. But then by the time I move forward with that decision, I'm at peace with it because I've already done the mental load of thinking it through. So besides getting advice and things from friends and family and peers and taking that life advice in when you need it, uh, besides things like that, yucking someone's wow. Again, you don't know why I made that decision, right? You don't know why I wanted to go do this thing. And this thing is what I've decided that makes me happy. Mm -hmm. And I'm moving forward with it. It's just not, it's, you can't ever extend empathy enough, Mm -hmm. even to those people that are yucking your wow. Maybe they've had some negative experience with the thing that you are about to do and they're worried about you and they don't Mm -hmm. know how to express that. And so they're just going to tell you they don't like the idea and trying to put myself in their shoes, even when I don't want to do that. And even when it's hard. And of course we don't do that all the time, but trying to intentfully think, why are they saying that? And then if I can't make peace with it, I can't change it. I got to let them have that belief and that's okay. And either I'll prove them wrong or I don't, but it was something I wanted to do. And at the end of the day, you're sitting at home and eating dinner, watching your TV show. That person isn't there to help you with that thing you signed up to do or that thing you chose to do. So regardless of anyone else's yucking of your wow, if they're not there with me, helping me make it happen. Don't give them that much power. Yeah. Let that belief stand and either I prove them wrong or I don't. And that's okay. So That's a a great philosophy, Katie. I love that. So at this point in time in your life, what would you say that you are passionate about personally and professionally? Yeah. So my brain is completely split into two separate halves. Half of me. So I I work at an aerospace company and I love that. I love the challenge of 
working with really cool stuff, crazy technology, space entity things. I think all of that is just so fascinating. And I love the business side of it. I love the operational side of it, understanding how things work and making them and just getting involved with all that I think is so fun. But the other half of my brain and the thing that I'm pursuing on the side of all of that work is the wildlife conservation side of it. And that is what I think sparks joy. You just feel it in your soul when you're around things that you know you're meant to do. So that's what I'm excited to keep working towards chasing my passion right now is I've been able to understand and connect with people that are working on all of these crazy ecosystem challenges around us. And that could be from a human perspective. You know, we got to meet with these, these amazing rangers with the Denver Park and Rec Department. And they, we met all about urban parks and how putting these parks and being rangers at these parks that are in city centers are really good for people, especially oh. people that live within city walls and how these parks have an ecological importance. They have mm-hmm. the animals within these areas. And that's the class, one of the classes I'm in right now, but that's, it's showing these connections of when you're driving down the road and you see these parks that have this new appreciation for pulling people in so that we can understand our environment better and support it in the future and vote to help things for that stuff in the future and understanding just the natural world around me. I think I've always had like 30,000 foot view of stuff. I just want mm-hmm. to know the whole picture mm-hmm. and seeing the whole thing and understanding that we're, we're here, humans are here for a little bit, but there's so much bigger stuff going on with animals and species and the weather and the earth and protecting all of that. And, and so I just find myself going that direction somehow in my life is working. It just feels like you'd be serving a, a high purpose of your planet. Mm-hmm. It feels like you're serving, giving that back to that huge community. And that encases everybody because humans are a species on the planet and we want to protect them too. So there's layers there too of just doing good for people and animals. And I can tell you're passionate about it because I see how you light up when you talk about it. So I know that you are definitely talking about your passion. So we can't talk about passion without purpose. So what would you say your purpose is personally and professionally? Yeah, I think purpose is something that is a changing target all the time, but it is that driving force of, I've always had a passion or a purpose for, for, making people feel included, giving, it's like, I, I want to improve the lives of those I'm around and improve the lives of the animals I'm around. And if I'm just going around and making things a little better or just giving someone a good day or being a good friend to someone and just that purpose of just make whatever you're in a little better than what you found it. And that's a win. Definitely. And you definitely do that. And going right into that, what would you say is your superpower? I think I'm pretty tough. If I had to put, if I had to put one word on it, I think resiliency is something that I have had to earn Mm -hmm. practice, but I am proud of what things I can tough through to achieve a goal or I can tough through to prove something to myself. You're titanium tough. Yeah. Aren't you with those titanium rods in more ways than one? Yeah. So I think that's something that I'm proud to, to say, even if I don't feel super strong in certain ways on some days. And maybe wasn't seen as tough for a while because I was probably pretty fragile for Mm -hmm. a while after healing. But I think it's made me, it's made me tough if I had to give one word for it. Yeah. Yeah. But it, but with lots of humility also going along with that. Yeah. Tough, but empathetic. Yes, most definitely. So my, my motto of living your best dash. So how would you say that you are living your best dash? It's an, it's an everyday thing. 
it's every day wake up and what is the goal today? Mm-hmm. Is it X, Y, Z at work today? And that will be, I'll, I'll go home and feel like, oh yes. Or is it, I'm going to go work in my garden tonight. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm looking forward to every day is working in the garden. Or we found this new recipe. We're going to go get groceries after I get home and go get it. Or is mm-hmm. that bigger than a daily scale? Is it this month? I'd like to do this house project or by next year, I would like to have gained this skill. So looking forward to all of that, that, that is to me, living your best dash and willing to adapt and change and learn. I think also learn is probably the biggest defining factor of living my best ashes. How can I learn more about stuff I care about? Mm-hmm. And you and I, I have been a witness to all of that. And what has been so exciting to watch your whole entire life is you have been a goal setter. And when you have hit that roadblock or that detour, you've just adjusted to it and you have made it work. And you definitely are someone that is living your best dash. You're making the most of those moments. And what I also really enjoy watching with you is the fact that you are in the moment, no matter who you are with or where you are going or what you are doing, you are in the moment and you are gaining the most out of each one of those moments. And that I know whenever I get to spend time with you, it refocuses me to make sure that I am making the most moment along with you. And reminds me to do that with other people as well, because life is fleeting. It really is. And there's no guarantees as we both know, but that is something that, that just continues to inspire me, Katie, is to know that when I see you and you talk about these things, I know that you have been in the moment and enjoyed the moment and made the most of the moment. And that's what living your best dash is about. Yeah. I I appreciate that because I feel the same way after we hang out, I feel completely like we were so present and focused and on just enjoying that day or enjoying whatever cool thing we're going to go see or just having a conversation. And I think there's so much to say about having gone through a rough thing, maybe physically, and then being worried about, oh gosh, what's the next 40 years of my life going to look like? Realistically, Mm -hmm. what if I've had this much pain now and those dark parts of your brain say, is it all downhill from here? Are you never really going to ever is it, are you always going to have a hard time with stuff? But-, but I think also because of your research that you have done, you also know that with the medical advancements that are out there, I think that there is a piece of you that knows there is hope for your future, that something somewhere along the way is going to get developed or someone is going to find something naturally yeah. that will eventually help you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think it's part of a just an ev- evolving growth of everyone is as we go forward, you have worries of, oh gosh, what would ever happen if this happened? And and think of that because things you adapt as you go. As humans are very good at adapting to our surroundings and to our situations and not without strife sometimes, but we get there. Yes. And I think that's a good reason to always just be completely present because I don't, I can't sit here and think of what the next five years will be and without kind of overwhelming myself with the possibilities. Sure. And trying to instill optimism, but also feeling a looming cloud over you of just, ooh, what other challenges am I going to have to overcome? But who doesn't think that? Who doesn't right. have those fears of those overwhelming clouds in the future of, oh gosh, how would I even make it? But it all just puts you right back where you're at and just, you can't guess what's going to happen tomorrow 
for the next few years. You can just enjoy, be fully present. And I think the pandemic taught a lot of us that as well, where silly example, but I spend my gift cards now when I get them or I go to, if I want to go see a concert, like I'm probably going to try to go see that concert instead of thinking, I'll just do that someday. And I think being someone who is challenged physically with things in my past as a young kid, I learned to just be excited for what's going on, not Mm -hmm. take that day for granted, because if it's a good day, just take it as a really good day. Mm -hmm. Is this the last good day I'm going to have before XYZ happens? No, you can't do that. I've spent 17 years battling that back and forth and it's never worth it. And it always works out. And I can confidently say now I'm probably in the least amount of pain now at this point in my life than I probably have been in memorable history. It's like you find that balance, you find ways to do that. And I'm really lucky to have been able to start chasing goals again and things. For a person who was in that pediatric unit of that hospital, I had a better prognosis than most people that were there. It was Mm -hmm. still the hardest part of my life. So I I can't sit here and get too down on that because I'm super lucky Mm -hmm. with that. But you got to get to a place where you can accept that you're very lucky. Yeah. Excellent. Are there any final thoughts or words of wisdom that you would like to share with our audience? I think it's just think of your fellow humans next to you when you're going through a tough time. That could mean that you want to reach out to them if you're going through something and maybe they can relate to you or maybe they can't. It could also mean that if you are just feeling a loss of patience or you're maybe feeling less hopeful for the world, put yourself in other people's shoes all the time, always, even with your enemies. It's really hard. But if you're going through something and everyone here that's listening or that will watch this will understand what that is for them you have that thing you're battling right now and someone else shares that same feeling for something. And if just to extend understanding, because it will in turn help you feel better with whatever you're going through and maybe not get so if you have a challenge going on in your life. Awesome words of wisdom, Katie. You speak so much older than your 30 years. And it's all because of the things that you have experienced that whether that's good or bad, we're going to say it's good, has matured you much quicker than a lot of people, but I think it has served you very well. Yeah. I'm really appreciative of the support I had from physically. You gave me blood. Family members gave me blood. That was, that's the most basic level of supporting your next generation through. So I would not have been able to grow in those ways if I didn't have that support from my family, taking it seriously, getting me the medical help that I needed, never questioning what it was, always putting that first. And then even after that, making sure I was safe and looked after. And I don't think you can do that unless you've got good people. So I can't take all of that, but I'm really proud of the work I've also done. Oh, yes. It's it's been a combination of both, hasn't it? It has. Yeah. Yeah, it really has. You are a beautiful person inside and out. And I'm just so proud of everything that that you've accomplished and everything that you continue to accomplish and the way that you make people feel. I see how you interact with people. And I know that my life is so much better and richer and more wonderful because you are a part of my life. So I love you dearly as and just so excited and happy that you've been a part of my podcast journey here, Katie. It's been wonderful having this chat with you. Yes, I really appreciate it. And I love you too. And I thank you for being there for literally all of it. You've seen it from the very beginning. Always appreciate you and love you very much and excited that I got to be part of this amazing podcast that I have really enjoyed listening to. And I'm excited to keep listening to your future guests. 
Excellent. Everybody, it, it's that time. I cannot, I, I can't I'm not believe how fast these episodes go. And uh, the conversations are just absolutely wonderful. Even with people that I know, there's still things that I, I learned, like I just learned from you, Katie. So all of you that are out there listening, remember to follow and subscribe to the podcast. And remember, if you want to see the interview, you can go to YouTube and you can check it out on YouTube, but follow, subscribe. And you know what, while you're at it, how about if you give a five-star rating and then encourage your family and friends to also subscribe and follow it? Because as you see each week, the variety of people that continue to come forward and be guests on this podcast the wealth of knowledge that is being shared and the words of wisdom that are being shared are just immense. And the bottom line is I'm hoping and praying that they are ways to give you hope and encouragement and bring joy into each one of your lives. And remember that if you want to reach out and have a deeper conversation with me, and if you want to know how to get a hold of Katie, get in touch with me and I will get in touch with her and I'll connect you with her, especially if you're someone that has dealt with uh, constant pain and those sort of things. And you want to talk to her more about that. Katie, is there some way that you would want them through social media or a way that you'd want to share or just have them directly connect with me? What would you like to do? Yeah, they, I would love for them to connect with you. And then and then that would be fine to share my email. I think that would probably be a great way. All right. So, you know, you can go to my website and that's at www.pathwayswithpatty.com. And you can send me a message there on my website at the bottom. If you scroll all the way to the bottom, you want to send me a message. That would be the way to contact me and let me know that you really resonated with what Katie said today during the podcast. And uh, you are searching for ways to maybe help yourself. Let me know. And then we'll, uh, we'll connect each other and you'll get a chance to talk with Katie more about her journey that she has had with that as well. So once again, thank you again so much for being here, Katie. Love you bunches and look forward to our next adventure and chat together as we always have. And to those of you listening out there, remember until we meet again to continue to live your best dash and know that life's an adventure. And I want you to enjoy the journey because your life matters. Thank you so much for being here and joining us and may God bless you all.